0: Welcome to another episode of Loud in Tech, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of technology and culture. Today, we'll be discussing a range of fascinating topics, from the pitfalls of buying an iPad Pro for coding to the New Jersey Supreme Court's ruling on privacy rights and Facebook posts. We'll also explore YouTube's three-strikes test for ad blocking and examine the world of terrible real estate agent photographs. Stay tuned as we delve into Emacs Lisp shorthands RF signal mapping, the digital economy, and so much more. This is Loud in Tech, and we're about to get loud. Let's dive in. Before we dive back into more tech goodness, let's give a shout out to our fantastic sponsors and my personal favorite software in the entire universe, Mason. Picture this, a world where a solo founder can take on an e-commerce giant – Sounds like a superhero movie, right? Well, meet Mason. This AI shopping co-pilot is here to save the day. Mason swoops in to guide shoppers as they shop, making sure they find exactly what they're looking for. Did I mention it's like having a secret weapon against the Amazon tax? Oh, yeah. Mason will help you break free and skyrocket your sales. Head over to Get Mason to join the revolution. That's GetMason.io and in this next segment, we cover tech news. In a recent article titled "Buying an iPad Pro for Coding Was a Mistake," the author Jesse shares their experience using an iPad Pro for coding purposes. Jesse initially purchased the iPad Pro for its large color screen, which is ideal for reading coding books. They also wanted to learn Swift and Swift UI, as Apple announced that their Swift Playgrounds app would support these frameworks. Jesse highlights that the iPad Pro is excellent for various tasks, such as writing, spreadsheets, music production, video editing, and media consumption. The Apple Pencil V2 is praised for its reliability and precision in note-taking, drawing, and photo editing. The performance and battery life of the iPad Pro are also commended, thanks to the M1 chip. However, when it comes to coding, Jesse admits that the iPad Pro falls short of their expectations. While it is suitable for learning Swift in Swift Playgrounds or working with SSH terminals or browser-based development environments, it is not well-equipped for running Xcode, VS Code, WebStorm, or IntelliJ. Jesse also points out that the iPad Pro with necessary accessories can be more expensive than a laptop that offers more coding capabilities. Despite these limitations, Jesse still recommends the iPad Pro for its artistic tools, lightweight and portable nature, and multifunctionality. Ultimately, the decision to purchase an iPad Pro for coding depends on the individual's specific needs and preferences. Hey there, folks. You won't believe what the New Jersey Supreme Court just ruled. So picture this. You're innocently scrolling through your Facebook feed, liking cute cat videos and drooling over food pictures, when suddenly a cop decides they want to snoop around in your private social media posts. Well, hold on to your emojis, because the court says, Not so fast, officer. They ruled that law enforcement must actually obtain a wiretap to pry into your real-time Facebook musings. They even shot down the argument that a mere warrant is enough, saying it would undermine New Jersey's precious wiretap law. You gotta give it to them for protecting our privacy. This ruling came after a couple of guys were being investigated for drug offenses, and the authorities tried to get their social media posts without a wiretap. However, the court said, Nope, that ain't gonna fly. They found that allowing such releases without a wiretap would just make the wiretap statute completely useless and stomp all over other privacy protections. So, good news for all you Facebook enthusiasts out there. Your posts are safe. Well, at least from eavesdropping cops. Civil liberties advocates are cheering for this ruling, and we can't help but join in. Remember, folks? Always think twice before you post that embarrassing photo or vent about your annoying neighbor. You never know who might be listening. Hold on to your hats, folks, because YouTube is getting serious about ad blocking. In a move that's sure to ruffle some feathers, YouTube has confirmed they are testing a three strikes policy for those pesky users who insist on blocking those oh so important ads. So, how does it work? Well, let me break it down for you. Step one YouTube will kindly notify users, asking them ever so nicely to disable their ad blockers. Step 2. If users ignore the warning and carry on with their ad blocking shenanigans, YouTube gets tough and temporarily disables their video playback. Ouch! That's like getting locked out of your own party! But fear not, my friends, YouTube understands that mistakes happen. They don't want to be the bad guy, so they offer a glimmer of hope in the form of a feedback link. Users can fill out a form and say, Hey, I think you made a mistake. I'm not using an ad blocker. So, remember, folks, Next time you're watching those cute cat videos or epic fail comps on YouTube, listen to the plea of the ads. Let them do their thing. Or else YouTube might just give you the old one ad-blocking knockout. Stay tuned for more updates on this ad-blocking saga right here on our tech show. Oh dear, it looks like Adobe's acquisition of Figma has raised some eyebrows in the UK. The Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, is concerned that this deal might put a dent in the country's digital economy. You see, Figma is a big player in the screen design software market, and its competition with Adobe has been driving innovation in the industry. But now, with this acquisition, the CMA is worried that Figma might pose a threat to Adobe in the realm of creative design software. And that's not all. The CMA is also afraid that this deal could result in higher costs for consumers and stifle the development of new and exciting products. Yikes! Adobe better address these concerns in the next five days, or they'll be facing an in depth investigation. Stay tuned to see how things unfold. These next few minutes are around interesting stories. Imagine browsing through the internet, looking for your dream home, only to come across the most hilariously terrible real estate agent photographs. Yes, you heard it right. There's a website dedicated to showcasing a collection of inexplicably bad property photos. And let me tell you, it's not for the faint-hearted. This website has been described as the worst thing you've ever seen and begins as a laugh and ends as something terrifying. But despite the horror, it has also been praised as one of the funniest things on the web. I mean, who knew that bad real estate photos could be so entertaining? The website features a gallery of these jaw-droppingly horrible photos that will leave you questioning the sanity of the agents. And if you feel like you've stumbled upon a gem of a bad real estate photo, they even encourage users to submit their own. So buckle up, because you're about to embark on a journey into the world of the worst real estate photography you could ever imagine. In a recent blog post, Drew DeVault provides a complete guide to publishing free software video games. And let me tell you, it's a wild ride. The article starts off by acknowledging that video games are not your average software. No, no, no. They are a creative masterpiece. But hey, there's a problem. There aren't many commercial free software games out there. But fear not. There have been success stories like Doom and the Quake Engine, which were released as open source and had a massive impact on the gaming industry. So why should we bother with publishing free software games, you ask? Well, it's all about preserving history and giving fans the power to port games to new platforms. The article makes it clear that the fate of a game's legacy relies on the choices made by its creators. Will it be forgotten or immortalized? That's up to them. Now, let's dive into the different options for publishing free software games. First up, we've got the source-available approach. This allows players to view and maybe compile the code— but no derivative works allowed. It's like a sneak peek behind the scenes, but without the full experience. Next, we've got the copyleft license. Here, you can share the code freely, but keep the assets separate. This allows for easy portability and sharing without forcing derivative works to be free software. Best of both worlds, right? But wait, there's more. How about a permissive license? Kind of like MIT, where developers can incorporate the source code into their own games with minimal restrictions. Easy peasy. However, this approach might not contribute to the proliferation of free software games. Tough choice, huh? Lastly, we've got the assets. Graphics and sound, baby. You can release them under Creative Commons licenses, making it super easy for people to redistribute and reuse them. Derivative works and commercialization? Totally possible. Now, what if you don't fully own your game? No worries. The guide recommends publishing everything you have rights to as free software. The community can help fill in the gaps and reuse the open parts for future projects. Teamwork makes the dream work. Hold your horses, folks. Open source games don't mean cheater's paradise. Cheating is a challenge, whether the code is open or closed. It's all about finding social solutions like reporting systems to combat those sneaky cheaters. We've got your back. For all you code perfectionists out there, listen up. The article says it's not about having flawless code. Nope, not at all. It's about making the game free software, not code perfection. So chill out and embrace imperfections. And finally, the guide wraps up by laying out the specific steps to publish your masterpiece. Prepare an archive, add a license file, and publish on a hosting service. Then, let the world know about your contribution to the free software community. Stand tall, my friend. So there you have it, the complete guide to publishing free software video games. Whether you choose the source-available approach or go all-in with copyleft or permissive licenses, the choice is yours. Remember, it's about preserving history, empowering fans, and embracing the world of open source. Happy coding, game developers!